So have a good show. I always feel very professional when he says that. We are professional. So professional. I'm just going to get a felt pen to make my notes over this. <laughs> You're listening to Widowed AF with Rosie Gilmoss and Lucinda Boast. We've invited some members of the world's most exclusive club to bravely share their stories. Join us for some honest conversations about living a different life, the crushing lows, the surprising highs and everything in between. Please note this is a podcast about death. Carefully read the episode descriptions and be kind to yourself. But for now, welcome to our podcast. Let us begin. Hello and welcome back to Widowed AF. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, today we're going to reflect a little bit on our episode uh, Rainbow AF, which was our conversation with the wonderful Jess. Um, we're going to uh, go through a few questions that have come in for both Lulu and I, and we're just going to have a little bit of a chat. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you so much, anyone that tuned in, by the way, to Jessica's episode. We've had some lovely comments and loads of love out there for Jess, which she thoroughly deserves because she is an absolute queen. Um, Rosie and I spoke to her, obviously, last week, and some of the things that Jess mentioned, like her recollection of the police coming to the door, um, really resonated with both of us, but particularly you, Rosie, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It was that. I actually felt quite uh, shaken, I think is is probably the best word for it, because Jess talks very um, very beautifully about how she had the three boys while she was actually pregnant with her third Barnaby when she got that knock on the door. And it felt very familiar to me, you know, the having the children upstairs and the baby in my arms. And, and then obviously with her losing her second husband, and I came very, very close to losing my partner as he was at the time. And... Um, yeah, I you know I looked over the cliff edge and she got fully dropped over. So I found it quite chilling to hear and um and also I mean just completely awe-inspiring really because what a woman. She's so incredibly strong and I know we spoke after we recorded the interview both of us spoke to Jess after and she said that she finds it difficult to express emotions when she's talking about her experience which just breaks my heart but I I can relate to that too because I know that when Rosie interviewed me, um, I probably came across as a little bit detached. Um, so, yeah, I could really relate to that. I think sometimes you have to be. It is, um, I found, and actually my therapist said when I first started going to her, when I rang, you know, to ex- uh, explain my, my reasons for wanting an appointment, she said I almost sang to her. I almost wow. sang to my story. And it is a method of protection because quite often it will come up in conversation. I find often around the children because I have um, my biological son, Holly, Hector, sorry, and John's biological daughter, Holly, who we very much consider our children, but they're in the same year at school, which then obviously asks questions of, are they twins? Which really I should just go, oh yeah. (laughs) But instead I then go, well, no, we're a blended family. And then I feel very much like I have to explain that my husband didn't leave me and that John's wife didn't leave him. And then then within about 30 seconds of knowing a person, I'd vomited my life story at them. So you do have to learn a way of doing it in a way that protects both yourself and, you know, makes it semi-palatable for people because you can't be. We talk a lot about, you know, being authentic and emotional, but you can't be blubbing on every school, can you? This is true. And I know that we both feel the need to to sort of tell the truth. You know, we both feel really strongly about that. But Sometimes you haven't got the time, have you, to read no. that? People don't no. want to hear it, but, you know. 
Another thing that came up in Jess's discussion, and it's also come up in an interview that we've done since, which is really interesting, but she spoke about the way that you kind of go into survival mode. You've received this massive shock and, and then your brain instantly jumps into action and protects you from yeah. that raw shock and emotion, doesn't it? And I know you could relate to that too. Yeah, absolutely. And she spoke actually at the end as well about kind of wanting to focus on doing things that made her happy now instead of running from her pain. And again, I very much relate to that because, um, you know, I found solace in the bottle. I've talked quite openly about it. I have no shame about it because, you know, it was a coping method that I use that enabled me to get through the first bit. Um, and, you know, people lean into into sex, into drugs. What, what was you, your particular vice was quite special, wasn't it? Yeah. God, I got into a terrible habit quite early on um, of ha- ordering a bucket of fried chicken and two bottles of wine. Every night for probably about a year, it was two bottles of wine and a bucket of fried chicken and heartburn all night, basically. I got to know takeaway guys really well. Didn't Um, they check in on you once when you hadn't ordered for a while? They did. They did used to text me and ask if I was okay. (laughs) And this, I mean, you know, we sort of laugh about it and, you know, it is is humorous, but it led you to quite severe health problems for you didn't it exactly I gained a huge amount of weight um that was exacerbated in covid which that lockdown period for widows and widowed parents was sheer hell um you know we already feel like we're imprisoned in our own homes um but that exacerbated it and there's no excuse but my drinking and eating escalated beyond a point where I could take it back under control again it it just got out of hand so um i'm so glad i can look back and laugh now because honestly that i used to have a reclining sofa and i would get my tray full of shit and then my sister would call it a sad bag the bag of fried <laughs> oh you got another sad bag on the go and uh, i'd wind up the recliner put benedorm on the telly amazing and watch that i mean who was that woman and but that was my life for such a long time, probably up until um, I met you and in 2019, actually. It's but you justify it to yourself, don't you? I can remember discovering that the Indian, where I lived at the time, if you ordered some poppadoms, they'd let you order wine. So I was paying <laughs> Christ knows what for this virtually undrinkable bottle or bottles, I should say, of wine. Yes, Echo Bloody Falls. Oh, like, they're four pounds. With a bottle or something, yeah, yeah. And um, but you convince yourself it's normal, and and also because we live in a world where you know drinking and things are very celebrated, it's it's very typical for people to you know turn up with wine for you because you're sad, therefore you must need wine. So I try not to associate the you know the guilt and things to you know whatever coping methods that we lent on in that time. The 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 big thing is to make a change, isn't it? And you know, lots and lots of people can go on after this and drink quite, you know, moderately or eat fried chicken occasionally. Um, for you and I, it became untenable and we had to stop. So I'm I'm completely sober. You, you're completely sober, really, aren't you? Um, and, you know, I, it doesn't mean that we're boring. I promise we're still, you know, we still do lots and lots of cool stuff. But it just became um, so much of a weight around both of us, really, that it was going to pull us down into the abyss. And, Essentially, you, you know, you do get to a point where you, you make that choice and it's the same choice, isn't it? It's that live or die choice. It's- it really is. And I mean, 
we had a laugh, didn't we? I mean, I remember turning up to Rosie's house in Kent when we first met, and I'd always turn up with either a litre of vodka or a couple of bottles of Prosecco, and we'd just sit there, we'd get a bit pissed, we'd have a cry. Um, the kids absolutely loved it because they were all together. Um, so, you know, that was a nice time, but it's past now, and we we are kinder to ourselves and this is it it just becomes you know untenable particularly with young children and you know our children have been raised almost now it's cousins haven't they over the years because that that is the kind of intensity of this friendship that we have and we're really happy that it's led to doing something like this and I, i've got all gushy and pathetic. oh i know it's so lovely and right, I'm quickly really let's ha- talk about widow's fire or something quick Shut yeah up. Gosh, <laughs> sex toys sex toys <laughs> i bet your mum loved hearing no about my that. listened to that <laughs> yes, I need to ban my dad actually, because um, he he has questions after every episode. I get a missed call from him, and I think, oh god, my dad's tuned in. Here we go. Months of feedback. That's our favourite. <laughs> I know, but yeah, going back to our kids. Um, do do your kids ever say to you, um, why do you know so many people who have lost their husband or wife? Because Scarlett asked me that the other day, um, and then I said to her, well. It's nice for you, isn't it, to know lots of kids who've lost a parent like you have? And she said, oh, yeah, actually, that is really nice. Yeah, I think it there's the whole thing about feeling like this social prior and the the troll under the bridge that we've touched upon as, as widows. Uh, I think it very much applies to children too. I I work I work quite closely with a charity called Holding on Letting Go, which is a, a, a an amazing charity. I could wang on, you know, for ages about them, but they support bereaved kids. And, um, you know, they re- they really, really work hard with them to kind of get this idea that you, um, that by meeting other children in a similar position, they will feel less alone. And some of the older children swap numbers and things, which is quite nice, and it gives them a bit of a network. Um, only one of mine was able to do it at the time because, heck, he refusing tabs was too young. But it, it, it really helped them to feel less alone. And I think mixing with, with families who've had a bereavement helps too. It absolutely does. I know that the charity Winston's Wish actually offer... Um, a text chat on their yeah. website for kids, um, young people under 25, and it, it's from eight in the morning until eight at night. And stuff like that is so important for our, our young people, isn't it? Yeah, feeling, I mean, loneliness and isolation and, and feeling like a freak, those are the things that you really, it's hard enough growing up, isn't it, without having that over you. And I mean, you lost your mum quite young, didn't you? I mean, you were an adult, but it, yeah. uh, it, the impact ricochets, and you know ripples for, for such a long time afterwards it's it's such a profound loss the loss of a parent and i i say this um i say this all the time but i i feel the impact of the loss of my mum in many ways more deeply than i do the loss of john my husband and i you know it leads to all kinds of feelings i feel bad for scarlet that she didn't have 23 years of her dad like i did of my mum um, I, she doesn't have, you know, I've, for instance, I've found this the other day, but my old Nokia phone, um, and it's got text messages from my mum on it going back oh, years. Cool. And um, that's so special. And Scarlett, Scarlett doesn't have that. And she doesn't also have the memory of um, her dad in her life, which is really sad. It is, but I bet you could have bloody used your mum over the past few years, mate. Yeah, she was a legend. You'd have loved her. She, yeah, she just so lovely. I, I remember long chats with her over the kitchen table, drinking cups of tea, um, drives in the car, you know, stuff like that. It's the building blocks of your bond, isn't it, that you build with your parents? Yeah, it is. And I think it, and it is such a, a loss that the kids, 
like our kids and all the kids who've lost a parent, they don't have that. And we work really hard to make sure that our children don't feel like they're they're missing out. But as they get older, there are going to be times when it, it feels really, you know, the, the hole in their life is really kind of gaping and, and it, it, it makes them feel different. So it isn't something that, you know, just because they seem like they're okay now, it's not going to have an impact as they get older. I think that's another thing to be aware of because, you know, you'd look at my kids and Scarlett, of course, and, and just assume that they were completely, in inverted commas, normal, well-adjusted kids. You'd have no idea of the trauma that, that is in them. And another thing I want to explore, actually, is the sort of neurodivergence and how um, trauma at a young age can can impact their, their developments in that that way. But that's, that is a, a subject for another, another episode because I do want to get a, a, an expert on about that. I remember when Scarlett was at nursery, this was about two years after John died, her behaviour definitely started to change um, and yeah. intensify. She's always been a fairly highly strung kid. Bless her heart, gets that from her dad. Yeah, then. But, <laughs> but the nursery sort of raised concerns and said, "Has it came about, I think, that the trauma must have triggered something, some yeah. kind of change in her. And then I just felt awful. I thought, oh, poor Scarlett, you know. And then I'd be crying into my fried chicken at night. And- <laughs> Adding a little extra salt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mayonnaise for days. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> so interesting you say that, Lou, because um, Hector, who's my middle son, he um, he had a few what you might term as sort of toddler-esque behaviour issues prior to the death of Ben. But afterwards, it was exacerbated to the point that I um, called in an educational psychologist. And um, she sort of looked at me and went, well, you know, obviously we're looking at uh, autism. And I just went, what? Because he didn't present in what you consider a typical autistic manner, or, or at least not to me. You know, there was eye contact and he didn't line up his cars in a row you know, and all the things that you, you know, until you meet people with autism, the, the stereotype you have in your mind. And um, and yes, he was diagnosed with autism and he, he's absolutely awesome. And, you know, I, I wouldn't change him for the world. But I wonder how much the trauma exacerbated at least the symptoms of his condition. And it's something I'm very interested in, in learning about. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, a lot of people um, responded to our last chat, actually, asking um, about our kids, which is lovely. I feel like people are getting to know us and getting to know our families too. Um, another question that we had was um, from people asking how Widowed AF was born. And I know that the idea started in your head, Rosie, didn't it? Well, how it- goes this? Come on. So it did, and it was. I I probably should have a look back and see when I got the Instagram page widowed AF because I think it's about at least three years ago, you know. And I had this kind of bubble of an idea. I wanted to do something, and I wanted to, you know. Again, it's a bit cheesy, but change the narrative on what it means to be widowed young and talk quite openly and honestly. And the idea is sort of it's uh, it's changed, it's it's um, morphed over the years because originally I kind of thought maybe a book, but um, you know, that's that's it. You were connecting anecdotes, weren't you? From yeah. um, We've got lots of uh, widowed friends and you were collecting and we've had some funny old experiences over the years and it, it's awesome to be able to share them. So, yeah, you you were thinking about writing a book, weren't you, for a long time. That started at the beginning of the lockdown year, didn't I think it? so. It probably is three years ago. I think so. And then, you know, life gets in the way, doesn't it? And and then I sort of started listening to podcasts and thinking, actually, this would translate quite well. And when we decided to gauge the enthusiasm for well, then I asked you to come on board actually because I thought it'd be much more fun to do it together, and and um, and John produces us, so it's a very um, so it's a real kind of team effort, isn't it? And uh, and then we sort of put the theatres out to see whether people would be interested in what we were doing, whether they would like to come and tell their story, and the response we got blew our minds. I think we had thirty applications within a month. I mean, it was just insane. 
think we have guests booked in for several months to go already. And in the stories that we have, I'm so glad we did this. It seems like there was just such a need for people to have a place to share. Absolutely. And I know we spoke to a lovely chap the other day, Anthony, whose story's coming next week. And there was only one line on his application form, you know, and there was so much more to his story. When we started digging and asking questions, yeah. we were just blown away and we know that you will be too. And that's actually something that has come up um, from everybody that we've had on so far is a little bit like, oh no, I, there's, there's so much more that I could have said. And I felt that as well. And it's very difficult to condense you know, years of emotions and feelings into what tends to work. We don't time it, but it tends to work out between 30 and 40 minutes. So we are considering bringing people back in again and maybe going a little bit more into depth, maybe doing some sort of roundtable chats um, in the future. So we're really interested to see what people's appetites are like for that. That And anybody they would like to find out more about, please do let us know. And actually, on that note, we have a new feature on our website. So if you go to our website, which is uh, widowedaf.com, you can record us a voice note. So if you record us a voice note, we will play it out. So please don't be rude. But um, yeah, we thought that might be quite fun. You could ask us questions. You could ask our guest questions. You could record little anecdotes you'd like to tell us. And make it. we'd like to build a bit of a community so it feels, um, you know, more reciprocal and that people are getting involved. Yeah, that, I, I think that's going to be fun, actually. Lots of people have um, direct messaged us on social media with anecdotes and stories, which we yeah. to share. And also don't, don't worry if you if you're considering coming on and you know you want to share your story. We will share it in a way that is comfortable for you. We can anonymise you. We can distort your voice. Yeah. Um, but the importance of getting your story out there is something that we really believe in. Yeah. And um, we we say this as well. We're not in- investigative journalists. We're not Paxman. We're not trying to catch you out. We're not trying to create a story. What we, we're trying to we don't need to create a story. The story that these people have is enough. We just want to guide them and, and give them a platform to share it. We've had lots of uh, emails and texts actually from non-widows thanking our guests for the insight that they've been given into their world because it is it is a it's a scary place the world of widowhood, but it is it is a common theme of life, death, and it, it is something that we have to talk about. So I'm I'm really glad that this this conversation is happening. Absolutely, I know people have said that it has helped them navigate um, supporting someone through their grief too. Yeah, we talk about the support system that we've built over the years, um, the lack of support in the early days, the lack of support as time goes on. And if that helps people to support yeah. those who are grieving, then brilliant, job done. And we want to be, you know, we want to be our, a friend to our guests too. You know, I feel like we're making friends here, which is so lovely. Oh my goodness, we've, uh, Jess and I have been talking about her coming down with the kids in the summer. Well, you and I have been talking to Anthony about going up and having a meal out or a night out in Birmingham. So yeah, we, the kind of unexpected side effect of this is that we are getting to meet some spectacular human beings and form friendships. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so lovely. It really is. It's a really positive thing. And we're so glad that you're joining us on this journey. So with that, we'll probably sign off now and uh, just remind you that we have a new episode landing on Monday. Our episodes do land at five in the morning if you're a commuter. And this is going to be a um, a beautiful and very moving conversation with a wonderful man called Anthony, whose husband took his own life. And it obviously is it's very difficult to listen to parts of it. But what you will hear is the story of humanity and love as well. Absolutely. So for now, over and out, guys. We will see you on Monday. See you soon. 
Thank you for listening today. We'll be back with you soon for more from the front line of loss. But for now, as you were.